Hello and welcome to Digital Dialogues, the podcast series brought to you by City and the Treasury Today Group. I'm Sophie Jackson, publisher and head of strategic content at the Treasury Today Group. In this third episode of our audio series, we're going to be looking at the issue of geopolitical risk and the broader world trends shaping Treasury in 2022. Digital Dialogues is a content series developed in partnership with City. For today's episode, I was lucky enough to speak with three fantastic individuals. Sandeep Patil, Head of Financial Institutions and Liquidity Management Services, Treasury and Trade Solutions, Asia Pacific at City. I think the traditional role doesn't necessarily change, but it has evolved to such an extent that I would say Treasury is becoming a business center and a profit center now. It's going to be enabling the future growth and that does require a tremendous amount of planning on part of the Treasurer. Kanika Takur, Head of Trade, Treasury and Trade Solutions, Asia Pacific at City. It's a complex situation of not having too many eggs in one basket, yet having the core one or two partners in every part of your business. And Philip Summerton, CEO of Cambridge Econometrics. COVID, inflation and climate change is things to watch out for in 2022. I think the first two really for 2022 and, and climate change is just every year from now until forever. First up is my interview with Sandeep Patil. Sandeep speaks about the impact of geopolitics on the work that City does with its clients across Asia Pacific. Hi, my name is Sandeep Patil. I'm working with City as a head of liquidity management business, as well as I'm in charge of the financial institution business for transaction banking. Have been with City for the last 25 years. And I have seen numerous business cycle impacting our clients, our clients navigating through multiple challenges, as well as winning over those challenges to generalize and realize growth in Asia. First of all, tell me a little bit about the landscape for navigating geopolitical risk for corporates. So from a corporate perspective, I think first and foremost, when it comes to Asia, it's all about growth. And the growth mantra, I would say, is common across all the industries we operate in Asia. The primary driver of growth is clearly the three and a half billion population that is, quote unquote, saving significant amount of their household earnings and consuming on a discretionary basis as well as non-discretionary basis. Given poor markets and emerging markets in Asia, we are seeing growth in each and every segment. We are seeing growth in wealth management industry in terms of saving, as well as growth through a digital disruption indicator. So if you look at any digital disruptive indicator, whether it's the e-commerce, it's the number of transactions, it's the throughput, it's the gross merchandise value, Asia singularly dominates. And that is creating growth opportunities for each and every segment of our client business that we operate in. Now, when it comes to the corporate businesses operating in Asia, and when we are talking a theme around geopolitical uh, risks or geopolitical scenarios, there are few variables that dominate. The first variable clearly is the trade and the evolution of trade treaties, the dominant role of China in the entire ecosystem. China is, as you know, the world's manufacturing system. The consumption patterns that are changing, the digital consumption on the rise, the shift in business models, the rules and regulations that are constantly evolving in each and every country be it cross-border rules, be it foreign exchange rules, be it the rules that are allowing fintechs to innovate, or whether these are rules around data or information security. 
but there is a constant i would say uh, change that is inserted in the market by each and every economy by each and every regulator and that is creating a concoction or a cocktail of forces for our client businesses to manage which range from managing their trade partners to their supply chains to their manufacturing to their client behaviors to dominating the technologies with which they are working and deploying cutting edge technologies constantly in their business so that they can generate a very differentiated client experience which is the recipe for success and realizing growth in asia so there is a wide range of topic when we talk of geopolitics in asia excellent and then one thing that i'd like to explore is um what corporates should be doing to stay on top of these things because i think this is quite a new area for them to need to know so much about and fits with kind of the the development of the modern treasurer and their intellectual capabilities but what is what's some advice you have for some of the ways they can stay savvy and on top of everything that's going on sure so i think there are multiple parameters that come when one manages geopolitical risk it's clearly managing the trade and trade counterparties the supply chain the manufacturing the locations the digital technologies that are helping generate client experience the business model shifts the challenges that come around managing liquidity managing working capital managing foreign exchange or navigating risk now these are all i would say known unknowns to an extent as we operate in emerging markets there are a lot of unknown unknowns that also wait up and that does require pretty accurate planning so in terms of preparing to manage these geopolitical challenges what are the best practices the answer is very simple try to visualize the future try to visualize the future for your industry for your customers for your ecosystem for the geographies that you operate in so that you have a reasonable clarity around what the future is telling us the second part is plan for that future in terms of success recipe every company is unique every industry is unique everybody has their own place in that ecosystem and which are going to be the winning forces on which one has to bet on which one has to invest in what is going to create future value for your business model for your clients and then start quote unquote executing that plan in partnership with your banks in partnership with your suppliers in partnership with your company and partners and then measure consistently so that you are dominating each and every parameter as a best in class in the industry and learn from each other learn from the ecosystem learn from everybody that you don't necessarily repeat those mistakes and be in a position to success so it's all about knowing the future planning for the future and executing future now saying that is very easy managing that is pretty difficult and that's where we come into play as a partner to our clients we offer advisory practices in each and every domain and each and every industry in terms of how the banking infrastructure is evolving how the e-commerce infrastructure is evolving how the business behaviors and client behaviors are changing so starting with advisory we take that path to co-creation we literally sit down with our clients help them understand their position and co-create future for them co-create key initiatives that they need to invest into they need to work on and create a partnership charter so that they can execute upon these strategies and in a manner of speaking start dominating the industry by looking at their kpis and consistently benchmarking those kpis to the best in the industry these kpis could be in the liquidity or working capital or capital efficiency or profitability or the growth or the client experience or the digital technology adoption across the wide range of variables that help create that future we are helping our clients benchmark themselves versus the best in the industry and consistently bridge that gap hence in essence we are trying to create that future and make sure that they are successful with the future lens 
Excellent. And further on that, are there any examples that you can share with us of the work that you've done with clients in this space? Absolutely. I think there are numerous examples in terms of the way we are helping our clients and the way the clients are visualizing their paths and future. Again, it's, it's, it's uh, you know, depending on which industry you sit in, which geography you focus on, the solution does change. But there are a few common principles or learnings and understanding that I would like to draw out. One, when it comes to Asia, when it comes to dominating markets in Asia or realizing growth in Asia, it's very important to understand the business model disruption or the business model changes that are going to come our way. And these business model changes are not necessarily only in the digital domain. Digital domain, of course, dominates how the e-commerce model is evolving, how the consumer behavior is changing, how that particular industry is disrupting, what part of sales are going online, what does it require to service those online sales, what does it require to generate that digital client experience. So there's a overall math and mechanics around managing the client experience to realize e-commerce growth. So it starts at that front end, goes all the way to managing supply chains. Where are the supply chains happening? Which geographies are concentrating in? how the supply chains need to manage in terms of managing efficiency, making sure the supply chain is supporting the ecosystem in the shocks and absorbances that this economy needs. Going from there to liquidity conversions, working capital management, and there's a lot that's happening in that domain in terms of a lot of cash flows are shifting real time, real time technologies are coming handy in terms of APIs, in terms of creating client experience, in terms of creating cash flow forecasting. So you're literally deploying these tools so that clients can benefit from the rest and the best in the industry. Uh, and taking that journey onwards come the journey of making sure that the organization and the enterprise is ready from a digital lens perspective. Each and every process, each and every parameter underneath can be managed digitally and that does require a vast amount of planning at an enterprise level. So how is data going to help? How is digital process going to help? How are digital technologies going to help? How does one create UI and UX? what do finance and treasury roles evolve and uh, how do we how does one go down the path of digitizing treasuries so that each and every support unit each and every business unit gets what they want uh, so so planning that particular digital and treasury function also is an important important of business model shifts and last but not least how does one manage risk and regulations because each and every country in asia is unique in its own respect in terms of it spells out the rules and regulations these regulations are constantly changing. They could be in the nature of foreign exchange, capital controls, cross-border mobility of liquidity or data, digital centralization of operations. There is a plethora of regulation in each and every country, which is evolving consistently. And if an enterprise does not keep pace with the evolution of regulation in each and every country, it does lag behind. And that's an equally important area to make sure that the digital model disruption and the business potential there is maximized by making sure that the impact to the workforce and impact to the underlying business model is minimized. So it's, it's I would say, a combination of multiple parameters in which uh, our clients are exceeding and we are helping our clients succeed in their own industry spaces. Excellent. You mentioned some interesting areas there. Um, if you look to the year that's to come now, so we're in 2022, um, what are some of the things that you'll be keeping an eye on and some of the things that you will see evolving this year in this space? Absolutely. That's a great question. I would probably uh, look at three specific aspects that I feel are relevant for 2022. One is clearly the macro is changing materially 
last couple of years, the world is trying to come out of the corona cycle and by virtue of there, there is tremendous amount of monetary easing and liquidity pumping that has happened in each and every economy. And there is a tremendous wave of liquidity that's sitting. Now, slowly, given the inflection and uh, it is very persistent, we are likely to see a series of rate rises. That means the cost of debt, the cost of capital, the cost of doing business is going to go up. And that does require a good amount of corporate planning in terms of making sure that the growth is funded, liquidity is available at the right place, at the right time, in the right currency, with the right mechanics that is there, so that the cost of doing business comes down. The disruption that happens to a business process goes down and the client gets a tremendous client experience. So that's the one macro parameter in which liquidity, foreign exchange and working capital planning is required. The second parameter is around the working capital shifts, the trade disruptions, the China, US, everybody speaks about, but there are so many other trade treaties that are arising. There are so many tensions and conflicts that are arising. We can talk of China, Australia, Europe, the way the emerging market position and understanding these trends is extremely important for us to be able to manage the working capital impact on our business. And then the third element I would say is the business model changes need to be sought through. What I mean by that is if the digital business model is going to be dominant in the future, what does it mean for the manufacturing model, the location of manufacturing, the facilities, the working capital chain that that, that is going to support the underlying legal and uh, uh, legal vehicle structure that it requires? Do we require invoicing structure? Do we require issuing structure? Do we require new forms of shared services center? Do we require commissioner structures and sales structures to be established in different sales locations? The entire organizational construct needs to be looked at given the e-commerce evolution, given the evolution in terms of regulation and the new tax changes that are coming so that that plan starts helping capital efficiency of the businesses that we operate under. So just to summarize, I think there are three major forces. One is the e-commerce and digital disruption. Second is the working capital and manufacturing relocation. And third is the legal vehicle planning and capital planning around that. These three forces are going to be dominant consumption uh, of, of treasury manpower as well as the management time. And so long as the company plans it well, gets on top of it, it's going to be successful. Brilliant. That's great. That's very clear as well. But then final question for me is how do you see this fitting into kind of the evolution, if you like, of the modern treasurer? Because I think this area has become so kind of paramount to understand for treasurers and it's something that's evolved so much. So how does this fit into the, to the new idea of a modern treasurer? That's a brilliant question again. I think the role of treasury is constantly evolving. If you have a little bit of yesterday lens, the role of treasurer is to make sure that the liquidity is available, working capital is funded. It's a lot more efficiency driven. How do you get efficiency out of working capital? How do you get efficiency out of the capital that is deployed in the business? How do we make sure that the enterprise is efficient in terms of managing its risk and costs? So from that efficiency-focused lens, the role of treasurer is evolving very rapidly to a growth-focused one. How do we catalyze the growth? How do we make sure that the enterprise is maximizing the digital benefits the economy is offering? Or how does one evolve to a digital business model? And that is a tremendous amount of change an enterprise has to go through. It's the job of a treasurer that it is evolving in terms of how do we make sure the enterprise is ready to face that challenge and to maximize from that opportunity. So the role is really evolving from 
catalyzing growth to enabling growth now in terms of making sure the distribution, the internal systems, the cash flow systems, the working capital system, everything that is, uh, that is supporting the growth of an enterprise is absolutely well planned. There's a digital DNA that is embedded into each and every process, each and every process, and the technology that is deployed in the business, and to be able to navigate the uncertainty the business is going to face, whether it's the uncertainty in terms of regulation, in terms of cash flow mismatches, in terms of the growth pattern that's not going to be uniform across the board. There's a tremendous amount of planning that one needs to do. So I think the, the traditional role doesn't necessarily change. But it has evolved to such an extent that I would say Treasury is becoming a business center and a profit center now. It's going to be enabling the future growth. And that does require a tremendous amount of planning on part of a treasurer. Even if I take liquidity as a simple example, assessing liquidity risk, managing liquidity risk, making sure that the right construct uh, in terms of pools is available, making sure that there is a short-term planning of liquidity in terms of market volatility, funding of working capital, counterparty risk, operational and fraud risk as well as there is a lens on long-term planning in terms of what are going to be the markets in which we are going to dominate, what are the regulatory actions and geopolitical scenarios in those markets, what kind of legal vehicle and entity structures do I need, what kind of structural shift do I need to do in my manufacturing locations, what does it mean for my capital planning. So it's a plethora of short-term and long-term activities that is going to give, I would say, an efficient treasury model to each and every company where the cost of doing business comes down and the digital client experience that a client deserves is gone to the next level. Excellent. Okay, I think that's great. Um, is there anything further you'd like to add? I think one or two more changes. I think, you know, given the rapid evolution of digital technology, as well as the digital business models or e-commerce business models, I think there are two or three trends that are worth discussing. One is clearly the trend of digital. We discussed a little bit about it as to how data, digital, some of the real-time tools are going to transform the treasury and business ecosystem. The second, I think we are going into an economy where working capital is not going to be something you can plan for. One of the days you're going to give 180 days credit to your, you know, to your buyer, or you're going to get 90 day credit from your supplier, et cetera. It's going to be a working capital on demand. We are going to be in a 24 by seven ecosystem where clients are buying at their own will. The demand patterns need to be predicted accurately, otherwise working capital prediction goes for a toss. So that working capital on demand train is giving rise to liquidity and working capital convergence. People are going to borrow a loan, they are going to repay it on 17th day, they are going to again re-borrow it on 23rd day, may repay on 27th, and they won't be able to predict that 17th day, 23rd day, or 27th day sitting in advance. And that does call for a very different construct of treasury and bank partnerships. The second area where a lot of evolution we are likely to see is in the area of open banking. Uh, you will have to bring, as a corporate, you'll have to bring all your banks together, create an open banking ecosystem, make sure that the banks are talking to each other and collectively offer your business the best-in-class solution. It's not going to be buying bank by bank, but buying all the banks together. Third, one has to keep an eye on some of the new technologies that are evolving and the new currencies, whether it's you know central bank digital currency or blockchain as a technology, they are going to disrupt our business model, especially the treasury work function. And his one needs to be on top of that. And last but not least, future of work. Corona is still around. The environment is still, I would say, anxious. And by virtue of that, we are going to have a series of semi-lockdowns, half-lockdowns, 
people are going to be work remotely travel is going to be difficult but having said the market is very competitive the market is offering growth opportunities to those organizations which are on top of that and by virtue of that it's very essential to plan on people manpower talent perspective to make sure that the work from home is facilitated well the future of work is well defined the policies of an organization evolve to the next level as well as the system and infrastructure that it calls for is resilient and the efficiency is there so that the enterprise doesn't suffer from internal outages and it doesn't impact the client so i would say there are there are uh, those uh, pivotal changes that we are going to face as challenges but enterprise if it plans well for those changes in advance that becomes a differentiator and for you to be able to beat your competition then i asked kanika about the impact of geopolitics on trade and asked her to look at how this space would be evolving over the course of the year to come Hi, my name is Kanika Thakur and I look after the trade businesses for Sidi for Asia and I'm based out of Hong Kong. So Sophie, as you're aware, most of the clients we deal with are our clients that have large global presence both in terms of the clients at their end or the people they sell to as well as their manufacturing and their supply chains. So obviously they deal with multiple countries and are impacted by any potential geopolitical tensions that could be present in a place of manufacturing or in a place of consumption of their goods or even in a place where their suppliers are based and as we've seen that combined with um, other issues that supply chains face in today's context which could include freight shipping costs dependence on a single geography etc clients are are watching very closely as to how particular geographies are interacting with each other and because we've got a deep local presence in more than 100 markets we are in a position to provide on the ground uh, sort of feedback to our clients as well as to be able to service and and be able to look after their entire ecosystems in an on, on the ground manner as they continue to do business in geographies or as they move to new geographies or as they reassess their presence in particular geographies and you know as clients look at risk mitigation tools given our presence in these markets we are in a position to provide them as well as with liquidity injection and supply chain solutions both on the payables and on the receivable side now can you tell me a little bit about how do you see this space evolving or knowing what i know today i think the world is going to continue to be a reasonably complex space we're seeing we're in the middle of of a, a reasonably complicated covid variant at this point in time and who knows how many more of that are coming out uh, in the future so with mobility getting limited with supply chains uh, getting more complicated you know you will see inventory positions being taken you will see uh, domestic manufacturing decisions being taken you will see shipping implications or transportation implications coming through so very very hard to predict at this stage other than to say that uncertainty is potentially going to be at least in the first half of 2022 an existing uh, ongoing phenomena and uh, you know while we were hoping that the, the dust would settle a little more this year but uh, the way things are unfolding you know i don't see that happening so we will see caution we will see people having backup plans continuing to look at resiliency as they have last year and continue to look at ensuring that there are no disruptions to their businesses fantastic and i think this fits into kind of the broader intellectual demands that are placed on corporates now you know they need to know more about more than they ever have before so are there any final tips that you have for corporates on how they can be approaching this topic of navigating geopolitical risk 
I think having continual engagement with on-the-ground sources in, in geographies, ensuring that there is a diversification of supply chain partners, there's a diversification of manufacturing inputs, there's a diversification of shipping partners, etc. I think putting every egg in one basket is potentially difficult at this point in time. Yet having trusted partners is extremely critical because in difficult times is when your trusted partners will help you navigate through the muddy waters. So it's a complex situation of not having too many eggs in one basket, yet having the core one or two partners in every part of your business to be able to rely on and, and keeping a very, very strong um, you know, eye or ear and ear open and having backup and contingency plans to the extent possible. And I think digitization to a large extent will be um, an enabler, will be a predictor, will be a tool for many of this you know, issue resolution. Finally, we turn to my conversation with Philip Summerton, CEO of Cambridge Econometrics, who spoke with me about the company's work providing data-driven analysis to policymakers of all levels, as well as their work providing economic research to help global corporations to navigate today's world. For me, they really need to start thinking about how to make their businesses resilient rather than profitable, optimal, <laughs> you know, and and we really have, I would say in turn, that probably leads to long-term profitability anyway. One of the reasons that CFOs and FDs and treasurers are all of a sudden very interested in these things is because they're hitting the bottom line. And my own view is that like over the last 10 years or so, we've entered into a, a, a phase, it's not clear to me how long it will last, where the whole global economy is much more uncertain. And so if you're operating in this kind of increased uncertainty, then it is difficult to do traditional business planning where you are really looking at investments, ROI, underlying profitability, and you can make uh, traditional finance decisions. And instead, you're having to think about how to protect your business model cost effectively. And so, we, I mean, we've seen examples of this. I mean, COVID's the obvious one. Profound impact, systemic impact, and that's that's the other kind of key point. Well, we also had the, the recession caused by the financial crisis 10 years ago. Again, profound and systemic. And I think the fact that they were both systemic shocks has really kind of shown how, A, the world is very, very, very complex, um, and B, it's incredibly interconnected all of a sudden. And so the implications of that are that we have to learn to deal with this uncertainty and that what would previously have been isolated shocks in one area of the world or in one sector of the economy are increasingly becoming interconnected shocks. And that really takes me to climate change <laughs> because... The science predicts, and the science has been right <laughs> so far, that, that the uncertainty levels will go up. You know, we'll have more wildfires, uh, more floods. Uh, their severity will increase uh, in nature, hurricanes too. And so it strikes me that in this kind of increasing uncertain world, you can't think about optimal because you can't look ahead far enough for, and know the conditions. It also, it also means that hedging 
which is often a you know the, the financial strategy is to say okay well we'll just move some money here and that will protect us from from these things but if your risks are systemic you you can't so readily do that and so instead you really have to think about your business in a different way to protect it and that is really about returning to scenario planning that's more about okay this huge thing could happen what are we going to do if that huge thing happens <laughs> well what does it mean for our business what does it mean for our supply chain how does it change the trends that our customers are facing um and it's really a very very different type of thinking it's not probabilities because we don't really know the probabilities um, and so you can't have this huge complicated financial model where you just hedge your money and you can deal with the risk because again it's the sort of fat tails and very uncertain but large impact things that we're not very good as humans <laughs> uh, dealing with because it, it it actually takes imagination and some real thinking about what the future could look like. I mean, that that's the advice for me is really, it's quite profound. I think you need, a lot of businesses need to change their way of thinking and really focus on resilience under uncertainty. What do you think the key things are to watch out for in 2022? COVID, inflation and climate change is things to to watch out for in 2022. I think the first two really for 2022 and, and climate change is just every year from now until forever. Um, but um, COVID, I mean, it's going to be very, very interesting how disruptive it continues to be as we move from pandemic to endemic. There, it's really a question of, well, okay, what, what can we do to minimize the impact on our businesses? But then what are the implications of, of all of these changing businesses and how does it continue to disrupt? I mean, we're seeing continued disruption. So I think we'll have probably a year of small shocks that lead to problems with supply chains, um, as we're seeing, and there'll be sort of localised pockets. But in this interconnected world, you never know if that's going to be your supply chain. <laughs> um, and then it's kind of the, the longer term implications of for. Uh, the business models that we've all started to use. You know, we're having this interview via Zoom. Uh, we've all got very, very used to that. The professional services world has largely gone to a working from home mode or a hybrid model. And there's a bunch of sectors that are still really reliant on the old model that we commute, that we go to coffee shops and restaurants and we go to bars after work and in and around the workplace. That are getting by, but it's not clear that that's where any new investment would go. Uh, and they're having these continual small shocks. So I think that's going to be a kind of continuing thing for 2022. Travel as well. Um, I, I can't see us returning to where people predicted levels of travel demand were going to be <laughs> before COVID. I think it's sort of the hot topic in economics at the moment. Everyone has a view but I'm not sure the views are, are quite so <laughs> different. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're seeing supply constraints in commodity markets drive up prices. And because um, those things flow through the economy, you know, oil goes through everything. 
Um, we we see increases in other goods and services, and I think the 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 interesting thing is that in 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 some markets like the US, unemployment's surprisingly low, and so there's a bit of a concern about kind of like a wage price spiral, expectations rising, and so I think that's what central bankers they're going to be really worried about. I think that we'll see a response to that. I hope that it's moderate. Um, I think it only needs to be moderate. If the world is becoming more uncertain, then you, the last thing you want to do is have return to interest rates that are 5% plus and the kind of the old normal prior to 2008. But I think they'll end up in some middle ground just to control that. So I think your readership will know this uh, Better than me, probably, but they'll they'll be expecting higher costs of borrowing. But I I can't imagine them going back to those pre financial crisis levels uh, for interest rates. But and hopefully they won't because they need to stay low for investment purposes or um, at least moderate. And then climate change. I think at some point this decade we're due a really big climate shock. Um, it feels like, and whether that's this year or next year, or whether it plays out as actually a series of just more intense and more frequent disasters, or whether it's one really big disaster, it, it seems entirely plausible to me. As those things start to happen, I think there's another side of this, which is that the policy response becomes stronger and quicker, and all of a sudden, a market is drowned out by a change in technology. Because ultimately, the transition to do anything about this is entirely about changing the technologies that we use and the cars and the heating systems and uh, how we power everything. So there could be some very big, fast changes there that really um, affect people. It's perhaps more of a decade ahead, <laughs> that one. Um, but I think every year risks seeing something that really changes our view on climate. Thank you to Sandeep, Kanika and Philip for their time. And thank you for listening to this episode of Digital Dialogues, brought to you by City and Treasury Today. You can subscribe to our channel to receive updates on the latest episodes wherever you get your podcasts from.